0: This is Thanksgiving week, and uh, I want to do just a tiny little bit of uh, uh, congregational participation here. Just shout out some of the things that you are looking forward to on whichever day you are going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I love turkey. Shout something out. Family. Deviled eggs, love those too. Desserts, just all-encompassing. I I specifically go for pie. For some reason, our family does pie. Other things, ham. Come on, there's some things you're looking forward to. Sweet potatoes, green beans, casserole, dressing. Wow, well, you mean do, by that you mean stuffing? Okay, because. Yeah, okay, make sure. Yeah, alrighty, yes. Yes. I love Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I I probably like it better than than Christmas. To me, it's always been, we've always done big family get-together type of things for Thanksgiving. And And one year we had a German exchange student come stay with us, and we went to my aunt's house, and it was... You know, cousins and grandma and everybody all together. And the big, huge, you know, you put two tables together and put things over them. You've got 20 chairs around it. And um, she got so excited when the table was all set, she literally had little tears. And she goes, it's just like in the movies. <laughs> I love that. This week, or not this week, uh, yesterday, the day before, uh, Kathy was talking, we're going to her parents' house for Thanksgiving. We usually like go to my sister's or have my family over. Um, we're going to her parents' house, and, and she starts listing off all the people that have these restrictive diets that can't be eating things, and she's like, most of the people there are gluten-free. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is not going to be a gluten-free Thanksgiving, is it? Because if it is, I'm going someplace else which is really, really terrible of me. Because, yeah, I, that, that, that big meal get-together is important to me, but what should be important to me is the people that I love and getting together with them. I don't know about most of you. I know about a few of you. But I have never had to go through any genuine, what I would call, real hardships in my life. Yes, I've been through some fairly tough things compared to the everyday American, especially like when I was in the military, but most all of the hard things that I've ever had to do were what I would call voluntary. I could refuse to participate in them. I could have not done those things and just hardship would have gone away. There would have been consequences, but you know what I mean. Probably the closest I've come to a genuine hardship was when three of us in the Army, we were in an armored vehicle, and uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere in the back country of Texas on Fort Hood, which I don't know what they call it now, but it, it was the largest military base in the free world. I mean, it's in three different counties. It's over just some desolate area out in Texas. And the vehicle that we were in, a big metal armored vehicle, broke down while we were down in a little valley. And we were out where nobody even knew where we were and because we were down in this little valley our radio wouldn't communicate with anybody and we could not get the vehicle going we could not communicate with anybody we had virtually no food and very little water and they say you know hey when you when you have these situations stay with the vehicle and so we did and we were there for i can't remember exactly like two or 3 days but it was I mean, we didn't go through anything terrible, but it was getting to that point where we were like, hey, you know, we're, this is like 105 degrees outside. We're in a metal box in the summer in Texas uh, before finally uh, we got located and taken out of that. I'm going to say something which is purely my own opinion, and I could be completely wrong. And that's okay. I was wrong once before. I thought I was wrong a second time, but I was mistaken about that. Here's the thing. I think it's very difficult to be fully and truly thankful for something unless you have gone through part of your life without it. Maybe you can but you would have to be really self aware and contemplative about it. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for most people, unless you had to, been forced to go without, then it's very difficult to genuinely have a full thankfulness for that thing. Let's just say that I, I think the overwhelming number of people, uh, this wouldn't be happening. You probably can't be fully appreciative of your good health unless you've gone through a serious illness or injury. You probably cannot be fully thankful for the amazing quality and variety of food which we have such easy access to unless you've had to involuntarily go hungry for a long period of time. The homes which we enjoy the shelter of probably do not get the appreciation they deserve, unless you've had to be out in the harsh elements for a considerably longer time than you would have liked. I know that we didn't fully appreciate the electricity that flows to our house until a storm took the electricity away for about four days several years back, and we realized just how dependent we were on that. You probably get my point. Most of us are, in effect, pretty spoiled. A lot of things we just take for granted. We need to be very conscious of the blessings we are absolutely heaped in. And that our lives have just as a constant state of living in blessing. And we need to live in a constant state of thankfulness, for those things. I really hope that we are and that we do. Anytime that we catch ourselves griping about something, we really need to focus on how blessed we are to even have that. Thing. You know, I, I get really frustrated with computers. Are you there with me? How many people also have this issue where computers will just drive you nuts sometimes? But we need to see, think, when we're griping about, oh, this thing won't do what I want it to do, of where we would be without the thing that we're griping about. Sometimes I gripe about that my car isn't quite what I would like it to be. You know what? Walking isn't all that great. We could do that Thanksgiving tradition and list off all the things that we're thankful for. But if we did that and we were seriously thinking about it, we could be here the entire day and still have all kinds of things that we forget to mention. But what we should be most thankful for, of course, are the blessings of the people that God has placed in our lives who show us what his love looks like in a person. Turn with me, if you would, or follow along overhead, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in spirit. Two weeks ago, when I preached out of Romans 1, I made the comment that uh, Rome was the only church that Paul wrote to which he didn't start. That was incorrect. That was the mistake I told you about earlier. I had forgotten about Colossians. It wasn't started by Paul, but he did convert the man, Epaphras, who then went back to his own hometown and started a church there. At the time of Paul writing this letter, Epaphras was with him in Rome and probably shared with him about some dangerous teaching, which was going around in the church at Colosse, prompting Paul to to send this letter. It is a lovely way in which he starts off this letter that he is continually thankful for them as people, but not just any people. It's the fact that they, as the community of one of his own converts and fellow workers in Christ, they have come to a deep faith in Jesus. He is just truly and genuinely thankful for them in this. It makes his heart glad to know that they have come to the point of being in Christ. Furthermore, <clears throat> furthermore, he's thankful for their love. Paul only knows of them through their spiritual leader, his protege, Epaphras. has shared this to Paul doubtlessly because he is proud of this this new congregation which he helped to start. And he taught the gospel which Paul had taught to him. And so he's gone back to Paul and says, I just got to tell you about these great folks. I shared the gospel with them. They've come to Christ and they're they're just full of love and the church is wonderful. Any good preacher about how good his congregation is to other people. It is a joy to do this and kind of brag up how good the people you worship with are. I know this firsthand. And Epaphras had the extra joy of telling them because he himself had first brought them to Christ. Through Epaphras' telling of them, He's communicated to Paul the great love that they have for all the saints, meaning that they have this deep-seated caring and connection for all of God's people. Now, keep in mind, Paul has never met them. Most of them have probably never met hardly any other other Christians other than the ones that they fellowship there in their hometown. Colosse was not a big city. Most people would probably never have traveled very far at that time. They may have known the Christians in the next town over, which is where uh, Epaphras had brought the gospel to them from, but that would be it. So how is it that they have come to have this deep love for all the saints, for all of Christianity. Our passage tells us that they have this love, quote, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It is literally because they are now no longer pagans with the futility of a worldly mindset, but because they now have the hope of Jesus Christ and the future of spending eternity in heaven with their fellow believers. It is this mindset accompanied with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit having the love of God flow into them that then allows for that love to flow out from them and onto others. Not just the others in their immediate vicinity either, whom they personally know, but a love that can extend out to people whom they have never even met because they share the faith and the hope and the love that those other people have. Faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Seems there's maybe another path that talks about that a little bit. Some, maybe a little bit more famous passage that uses those terms. It says something similar to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, says love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Most Christians who spend much time uh, attending church or Sunday school know this passage pretty well. But did did you know that this and the one of our main passage this morning are not the only places where scripture specifically talks about faith, hope and love all altogether. 1 3. First Thessalonians 1:3. 1 Thessalonians 5:8. Romans 5:1 through 5. Galatians 5:5 5, 5 and 6. Ephesians 4:2 through 5. Faith, hope and love. Every one of those passages, Paul is talking about faith, hope, and love all together. You know, it's almost like he kept repeating that because it was like, I don't know, important or something. Something he wanted us to grasp. Faith, hope, and love. They have a faith which brings them them to have a love for people they don't even know, who also have this faith and hope. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. Well, it isn't the same as today, where we have so many different branches of Christianity and different churches that teach different things, it's almost impossible to keep track of. There's a, there's a YouTube channel that I follow where this college professor, his specialty is just knowing um, what all the different churches of Christianity, and we're talking worldwide, teach and how they differ from one another. I had no idea there were even most of these different churches. And he gives these videos about how what what they teach and how it's different from what other churches teach. And and it just, it's mind-boggling how different it is. At this point, in this passage, they were in the infancy of Christianity, so the beliefs of one believer were likely to be very, very similar to those of most others. There was, however, some disagreement from one place to another. I mean, in the letter to Corinth... You had people starting to get sectarian even within that one church. Uh, they say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And Paul was saying, Hey, that's that's not a good idea. But there were some some minor differences throughout Christianity, even at that time, despite this fact that there was some disagreement throughout the church. One of the things that makes Paul so very thankful for them is that they have love for all the saints. Meaning they love everyone who is a Christian. Jewish Christians, Greek Christians, Roman Christians, what have you. Whether they heard the gospel from one person or from another. Whether the emphasis was on one thing or the tendency was on another. They had love for all the saints. Now I want to go back and restate why they have this love. Because of their hope laid up in heaven. Short of people becoming heretics, which we won't go into today, they had love even for people who probably didn't agree with them on a few things. I have some Christian friends who I strongly disagree with on some things. And I'm not talking about friends from other churches or denominations. I'm talking people I went to Bible college with. I think that they are just completely misinterpreting some passages of Scripture But none of those things are to a level of interfering with the fact that they are Christians. They are people who are headed to heaven. So I can honestly say that while I will never agree with some of the lesser things that they think, I can love them as Christian brothers and sisters. And they can just find out how wrong they are when they get to heaven. With this in mind, we go on to the next section. He is so thankful because of their love based in the hope of heaven. And he continues on in the second half of verse 5 and then verse 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is firmly planted with them. And just as it is in all the world where it is faithfully preached, it's bearing fruit. Now what does that mean? What does it mean when it says the gospel that was preached to you is bearing fruit? Well, there are two different ways that bearing fruit is used in Scripture in the New Testament. There is the way that it's used in that the parable of the soils, you know, where they, they spread the, the, the seed and it falls into different places, and where the soil is good, it sprouts up and reproduces, uh, what is it, 20, 60, or 100 fold? That's one way. Also, biblically, has the meaning of change within the lives of those who come to accept Christ. The fruit of repentance and change. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says, But when we saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, this is is John the Baptizer here, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. For a person to bear fruit in their faith, it requires that they change their behavior. That they show their faith and their genuine acceptance of Christ's forgiveness through this bearing of fruit in keeping with repentance. In what way? Well, that's going to greatly depend on the person. You know, I've met some people who do not even believe in God, who were living, from all I could see, very moral, decent lives. And I've known some people brought up in the church who claim to be followers of Christ who are pretty indistinguishable from the hedonistic, non-believing world, at least from what I can observe. Paul is incredibly thankful for these people, these good, hope-filled, faith-filled, love-filled people whom he's never even met because he has heard about them from his fellow ministry partners. It does his heart no end of good to know that they are bearing fruit from the gospel. What kind of fruit? Well, from what I can see there, it looks like both kinds of fruit. Both numerically, as in the the soils, that the gospel is planted, it grows and sprouts and produces more. That they, uh, Epaphras undoubtedly went back to his hometown and taught some people about the gospel. But those people also passed the word to the people they knew. And pretty soon they had a church that was growing and doing well. But also, Paul is talking about the fruit that it's bearing. When the gospel affects someone's heart, it prompts them to examine themselves and change their behavior to be in keeping with the teachings that Jesus gave to live a life pleasing to God because of how we're doing things. He loves them and he is proud of them because he has heard of their love of other people and how the gospel is bearing fruit in their midst in both and I can't think of anything to be more thankful for than to find out that people have accepted the gospel and it is changing their lives. Turkey. Mashed potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Breads. Pies. Rolls. Cranberry sauce. Stuffing. Even the salad. And, of course, pie. Did I say pie twice? All good things for which I will be very thankful this week. All the physical blessings in my life will be on my list as well. All the wonderful things that I enjoy every day that I have no right to claim as mine, but God bestows them on me anyway. But the thing I will be most thankful for on this earth is the people with whom I share faith, hope, and love through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for everything we've talked about, but mostly, Lord, thank you for the gift that you gave us. In the gospel of sending your Son to take our place, dying for our sins, that we may spend eternity with you. I thank you, and I ask that you would help me to produce fruit in all ways, Lord, numerically and in change in my life.